So today we're going to be in Luke 6, 39 to 49, and I have a last-minute pivot on my sermon. See, I'm fully prepared. But I feel like we should go a little bit different direction today. And it ties into the sermon very, very well. I don't know how well this records as a, a preachable sermon, but my hope today is we will be focused more fully on the reality of who God is and what that has to do with our lives. So Jesus told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces what? Good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep down and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood arose and the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. And this is an amazing word God has given us. So this was going to be a long sermon. It may still be. There's so much there which culminates in, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not to what I tell you? That should unsettle you, hopefully to resettle you on the beauty of the gospel. But we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is showing us not how people are supposed to live to earn his favor, but how people who've received his favor will live. And we've seen how saved people see themselves, and how saved people treat their enemies, and how saved people treat others, and we've done this over the past three or four weeks. If you're saved, you see yourself as spiritually poor, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you weep over sin, people uh, scorn you, exclude you, revile you. Remember that? Three weeks ago? If you're saved, you will love your enemies. You will do good to those who persecute you. If you're saved, we keep going. You will treat others as you wish they would treat you. And on and on we went. You'll judge not. You'll be not censorious. You'll condemn not. You'll forgive. It's impossible to do unless you're saved. And here Jesus is saying, if you are saved, you will follow the right teacher, bear the right fruit, and build on the right foundation. And I had those as my three points, and I thought, now stop. They're wonderful points. They preach beautifully. But I think we could go so fast on our way to a destination, we'll miss what we have to see along the way. So I want to just slow down, and y'all are going to join in with me in a minute here. And I want to focus on this first part, follow the right teacher. 
Jesus says something. Tells a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? You know the answer? You're wrong. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Right, they fall into a pit. Jesus is saying all teachers other than him are blind guides. Matthew 15. That if we follow a blind guide as blind people, you hear that? You're blind. If you follow a blind teacher, you're going to end up in a pit, a.k.a. hell. But Jesus came, Luke 4, to give restoration of sight to the blind. you remember that? He came to lead us somewhere as the only one who has sight. So this is not a parable about how to deal with sin in other people's lives. This is a parable about how to follow the right teacher. You see how the culture distorts the Sermon on the Mount so bad? Do you know what the log in your eye is? Your total depravity. Your spiritual blindness, your patakas, the fact that you inside, listen, inside of you dwells the seed of every known sin imaginable to man. Do you hear that? Inside of you, I'm pointing right at Roy, inside of all of us dwells the seed of sin, every known sin to mankind. Have you ever murdered someone? Do you feel you're capable of murdering someone? Listen to me. The answer is yes, and Jesus identifies that in Matthew. Have you hated? There's the seed. Have anyone here ever committed adultery? It's a little harder than murder for some people, huh? Who here, a married person, who here thinks you're susceptible to have an affair? If your hand doesn't go up, you're in more susceptibility. Because inside of you dwells the seed to every known sin of man. Jesus' point, listen to this. His teaching is this, so listen closely. You are the worst, most vile sinner you know. You are. Doesn't sound like good news, does it? But we struggle with this. We forget this, so we think we're pretty good, and we make pretty good choices, and we have pretty good motives. Jesus says, no, you're following a blind guide if you think so and do so. Take the log out of your eye so that you can help take the speck out of someone else's eye. Meaning, if you don't see yourself as a worse sinner you know, you are in no capable position of helping another person deal with sin in their lives. Do you follow me there? I, I can pick all sorts of problems with other people. I'm good at identifying sin in others. You ever notice that for yourselves? But I tend to be blind at times to sin in my own life. You ever have something in your eye? In my house, it goes like this. Laura! Laura, you're blind! What is your problem, she'll say. I have like a rock in my eye. I can't see it. So she'll come and look at my eye. She'll go, honey, you have an eyelash in your eye. Am I going to die? And she'll take the eyelash out. I can't see it. She can see it. Jesus' point, am I joking with that story? You don't know. Jesus' point is, you have a whole stinking plank in your eye, but Jesus came, Luke 4, to take logs out of 
eyes. Saved people know Jesus is a log remover, and as such, they're capable in Christ of helping others remove specks, but you can't move, remove a log from someone else's eye. You can't cause a spiritually dead person to come to life. Only God can do that. But in God's power, by his grace, knowing who you are, you can remove a speck from your brother's eye. Jesus' followers follow the right teacher. Who's the right teacher? Jesus. Who is Jesus preaching to here? Go all the way back to what, 17 of 6? A great multitude of people, disciples, remember that? A mixed group, right? Some who had trusted, some who were curious, some who were for the free stuff, some who were on the way out, but almost every last one of them, Jews. And Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, it will be evidence that you are by you following my teaching. Not the teaching of your religious leaders, the Pharisees. In our context, not the teaching of a variety of false teachers. The beginning of all teaching, the beginning of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. It's pointing out your, your blindness on your own, your stupidity on your own, your sheer ignorance on your own, and your capacity for sin. But God, while we were still sinners, right? Christ died for us. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more? And, and here's what I want to focus, because I'm ready to go right from this to this next part, looking at verse 40, of when you walk with Jesus according to his teaching, you become like Jesus. But, but, but I want to just hit pause for one minute, because I don't want to miss this. And when you come back next week, it's going to make a whole lot more sense how Jesus says this scary, scary thing. Do you see what he says here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? How can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Hold up. That, that, that should unsettle you, hopefully to resettle you. But it starts with understanding who is Jesus and what is his teaching. So here's what I want to ask you a question about. How well... Do you know yourself? You know your birthday? Hope so. You know your eye color? You know your medical history? You know your parents' names? You know your place of birth? You got that stuff. But how well do you know your heart? Jesus came to give sight to the blind. But can I tell you a little secret? He didn't come to make you fully sighted to function on your own. He came so that you would know your total need to depend on him for everything you do. You see that? He took out the log so that we could see the truth of who we are and who he is, so that we might cling to him as he holds us secure so we would follow him. This is going to bother you because it bothered me, and if it bothered me, it's got to bother you. Are you spending your life asking Jesus to give you the desire and the wisdom to follow him, or are you asking Jesus to follow you? You see what I'm saying there? Who, 
sets your path? Is it you as you forget you were blind and in Christ you can see? Who now thinks that you have all wisdom and knowledge and truth and need not Jesus? Or is it Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life? See, Jesus' teaching starts with, you blind, you dumb, you a sheep. You get cast upside down, bloated with gas, and he will pick you up and crack that gas and you can walk again. That's you. But who is Jesus? I picked the sheep for a moment here because I'm going to Psalm 23. It's Renee's favorite psalm. We were in there for, what, six weeks, years ago? And I said, how many times? That's why we haven't been back to Psalm 23. I love Psalm 23. As if like, Psalm 24, I think the Lord could have improved on, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus' teaching is you stink, you have a log in your eye, you can't see, you're dumb, you're going to make a mess out of your life, and you're going to go to hell. But God came to save us. Who is this God who saves? The Lord is my... I shall not... Mm. He makes me to lie down in what type of pastures? He leads me beside what type of waters? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of what? For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. Who is this Jesus? What is his teaching? You're blind. I got the log. Follow me. Where are we going? You're not going to want. I'm going to make you lie in green pastures. I'm going to restore your soul. Goodness and mercy shall follow you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear. I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I will anoint your head with oil. Your cup will overflow. Where are we going? Come on. Do you see what's happening here? And what do we say to Jesus? Hold up, hold up, Jesus. I see where you want to go, but I'm going to go this way for a little bit. I'm going I'm to go hang out with this lady over here. I'm going to go purchase this acquisition over here. I'm going to appease this person over here. Why don't you come with me and make it work out a-okay? Jesus says, now, if you're my disciple, you follow me. I don't follow you. Oh, man, wait till next week. Because it's so good where this is going. And listen, I'll qualify this. It is not your faithfulness that saves you. It is focusing on the faithfulness of Christ to save you that leads to your faithfulness in Christ as those who are already saved. You can go play that back and figure out what I said. I'll listen to it, too. It is not your faithfulness that saves you, because you is unfaithful. Amen? Amen? I is unfaithful to my Lord, 
for my Lord is faithful to me. It is not my faithfulness that saves me, it is his faithfulness to me that saves me, that causes me to be increasingly faithful to him. But it starts here in church. This is as far as we're going today because I want to give you time to think because I know full well when you leave this building, life grabs you and throws you fast. Amen? You got things to do, chores to run, things to clean, people to call, jobs to get to. Go, 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 go. Be still and know that he is God. Where does following Jesus lead? To life and joy and purpose and goodness. Those false teachers that you follow, who are they? Some are folks you listen to on a podcast or watch on TV. Sometimes it's just the world and, or the devil or the flesh pulling at you. Those lead to death and pain, uselessness and evil. You see that? So, so here's the question I want to ask you to think about. Where in your life, practically speaking, I'm assuming no one here is like leaving church with this plan. Listen, I'm going to abduct a child and mutilate them and bury them. Oh, wait, that's not God's will. I don't suspect we're dealing over there. Amen? If we are, please say something right now. <laughs> Dylan, you need to say something? All right. What I'm saying is, it's the wee little stuff. The, the weird little stuff like, you know what? I'm just tired. I don't like people. Jesus, I'll pray for them, but, but I ain't going to love them today because it's just too hard. You ever say that? <laughs> Thank you. Y'all need your hands up because we all do that, right? How many times do you make a decision based on I can afford it, I have the time for it, and I want to do it. Listen to that. I can afford it, I have the time for it, or I want to do it. Verse, the Lord told me to, or not to. You see what I'm saying there? Walk into the Bentley dealership, looking at the new Bentley convertible, got a new inheritance on my hand, the bank says that I can get me the Bentley, and I say, come on, Jesus, you can ride shotgun. As opposed to, Lord, I really like Bentley since I was a little boy. I can afford a Bentley, rightly stewarding what you've entrusted to me, I believe. But Lord, I don't want to buy a Bentley for anything less than your glory. And I'm just struggling if this is for your glory. Would you help me grab a couple men to, to examine my motives so I might discern whether or not this will be pleasing to you, a.k.a. Jesus, I like that Bentley, but I want to follow you. Do you see what I'm saying there? How do you manage your schedule? How do you manage your day? How do you manage your weekends? Is it based on I think I want, I can afford, or I have the time for, or Jesus told me to, so I'll follow him? You see, Jesus will always ask more of you than you can afford, more time than you have to get it done, and more energy than you have to pull it off almost every single time because he will put you in a place where he alone will receive the glory for causing you to do what he has called you to do. You tracking with me here? Jesus invites you. He says, hey, come and die. Take all your dreams and be willing to lay them down. 
Meaning, do you trust I have better dreams for you? Because Jesus' dreams are reality. He didn't come to ruin you. He came to save you and give you life and joy and purpose and meaning. And listen to me. I like Bentleys. I know Bentley drivers. Bentleys do not lead to joy. Do you hear me? For a minute they do. You ride, you ride down the street, people look at you like, who is that driving the Bentley? And you're like all puffed up. Look at me. Yeah, you're, well, I'm going to leave that story for another time. The world doesn't look at you walking with Jesus and go, who is that walking with Jesus? They, who, who that idiot with that man? Let's kill them both. But listen to me. You were made to walk with Jesus, not ride a Bentley. Jesus' people can own Bentleys. That's not the issue. The question is, the issue is, how did they get the Bentley? Is it asking Jesus to follow them or following Jesus to the dealership? Amen? How you steward your work time, your Sabbath time, your relationship time, your family time, your evangelistic opportunities. Here's what I want you to get. Why do we struggle to trust Jesus? And let me, let me just set that up. Saved people struggle to trust Jesus. In fact, their struggling is a sign of them being saved. And it boils down to this. You forget, I forget, how poor-sighted I am on my own. Yeah, you ever meet a blind person? I used to work with a blind man named Dennis. He was... Interestingly, most blind people aren't pitch black blind. Did you know that? But Dennis couldn't see. He could see shades of color. So theoretically, he could walk around the office and not hit a wall because it would get dark. He wouldn't try it. But Dennis had a, a, a cane and he used to have a dog. Dennis wouldn't go places without an escort because Dennis didn't know where the heck he was going. He learned the office. He could get to the elevator without his cane at times. He could push the buttons off the braille as he got more comfortable, but he was always leery because something could trip him up. Listen to me. You forget, I forget. You may see physically, but spiritually, your sight ain't so good. But you have a good Savior who took the log out of your eye so you could follow him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also says, he is the light who's come down into darkness. If you leave the lamp of Christ over there, you're going to crash and burn pretty bad. But saved people don't leave Jesus over there for, forever. They always come running back because he brings them back. You tracking with me? Do you understand that the seed of every sin dwells in you? Like, really? I want you to take a minute, and I want you to examine your life. Not out loud, but we'll get there in a minute. Where are you making choices for getting the good news of who Jesus is and why he came? They're all over the place if you stop and think, aren't they? In fact, I guarantee your life circumstantially right this moment is a result of a whole slew of bad choices that you find yourself dealing with the consequences of because you're human, right? You go, well, if I could back up 30 years. Hmm? You want to know the good news? God knew what you was doing 30 years ago. And he can redeem that. He will use that to conform you to the image of his son. 
But the goal is not to look back, Paul says, looking forward, striving with it to the upper call of Christ Jesus. The issue is for the glory of God, what is he calling you to today? Here's where we're going to pivot this into prayer time. You know why the prosperity gospel is so powerful? Listen to people's prayer requests. What do you all want? Health, wealth, and wisdom. Amen? God, I don't feel good. Help. God, I need money. Help. God, I want to be smart. Help. Stop. God got the money. God got the wisdom. God got the strength. God will heal everybody one day. But listen to me. We follow God for his glory. And he is glorified as we trust in him and testify to his goodness. So here's what I want to do. Can we take a few minutes? Can, can, we, can we have somebody in the, in the house here today testify about God's goodness? Here's what I mean. What can we praise God for? Where, where, where has the Lord led you this week and revealed in, through who you are who he is? Come on, practical preaching. Anyone? Don't tell me your problems. Tell me how the Lord addressed your problems with the gospel. You see what I mean? I could keep preaching, but I want to cause you to think. Where, where, where can you tell me about how the Lord, his goodness and grace and mercy, was made manifest in your life this week. Here's why. When we have people gather with us, we got a mixed group, saved and unsaved. Did you know that? Don't go looking around. Guarantee you there are unsaved people here right this moment. What are they hearing? Us praying to an inept, powerless distortion of Jesus? Or us following Jesus and testifying to his goodness? Lord, I had a hard week. It was scary. I struggle because I'm a weak person. But God, you're good. You encouraged me through your word as I read, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. You brought brothers alongside me to encourage me in truth. You used my weakness to remind me that this life is not what life is all about, but the best is yet to come. I am in a position where I don't live by regret going what's done in the past, I'll never experience again or have that joy, but I have a joy that surpasses that in eternity with you. Lord, it was a hard week, but you are a strong God, and you are a gracious God. Thank you for reminding me of that truth. See what I'm saying? How can we testify to the goodness and reality of who God is? You know, struggle with this, to the extent you struggle with following Jesus based on forgetting who you were. But as you remember who you were and you remember who Jesus is and you follow Jesus, now you start to testify. You see, you, you thought that was a, a cliche term from comedy distortions of church. That's why we're here. That should be, that should be as we pray, we're going to testify to the goodness of God. We're, we're going to cry out to a good, good God for wisdom so we will be led by him in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We will lay down our lives for his glory, trusting that he, in fact, will glorify us through that 
walk with him. Amen? Amen. So, so I'm actually inviting you here to take a moment. Who would like, in lieu of praying before the service, who would like to lead us, to, to give us a, a prayer opportunity for how we might praise God for his goodness that we've discovered as we followed him, listen to me now, careful, according to his word. Not where you're saying, Jesus, follow me, but where you can testify to where the Lord has caused you to follow him. It's tricky, ain't it? Yes, ma'am. Please. Don't be sorry. This, this is real life here. This is beautiful. So you're just struggling with, you know, emotional things and relationships and even thoughts. Relationship with God. You're in a relationship with God is a big one now. And uh, Jimmy's been talking to me just mentioning how much great has been on our mind. And we're seeing God's gospel be brought to bear on Greg and in his life. Amen? And we're seeing God unsettled to hopefully resettle. And we praise God that he's a God who saves and sanctifies and encourages and strengthens. Amen? Amen. It's not just pray for Greg. It's pray that the Lord who is mighty to save would save Greg or strengthen Greg and bring people around Greg knowing that God is with Greg. Amen? We don't serve an inept God in a box. We serve a great God who is. Amen? How about provision-wise? Has the Lord provided for anyone in a unique way this week? I don't mean a check coming in the mail necessarily, though that's fine. You know how you got to today from last week? The Lord's gracious provision. Do you know what you did all week? You thought you were providing for yourself. You want to you praise God for how he provides? Listen to me. Listen to me. Trust him. Steward your time, talent, and treasure according to his word, and then you get to testify for how good he is and faithful he is and mighty he is to provide. Amen? Anyone here have an opportunity to see the Lord bring someone to saving faith or strengthen them in their faith this week? Go ahead, tell us. Yeah, this week I uh, had the chance, to, Barbara had the chance to have lunch with dear friends who were uh, team leaders of my mission team some 30 years ago. And um, they're a little bit older, obviously, than we are. And uh, this man who had an impact in my life in, in the years when I started to walk with Christ is now uh, in the middle stages suffering from dementia. And so here was this old friend suffering from dementia and me 
suffering with the cancer. Mm -hmm. And we spent four hours together going through a stack of pictures like this, just reminding him of the people that God had brought us in contact with and that we had seen come to know the Lord mm -hmm. and, we, and discussing where they were and how they had gone on in the faith. And it was just fun to see God's goodness mm -hmm. in what he did with all of those people and how they, how they not only came to Christ, but followed, continued to follow him. And that we had us, we were allowed to participate in that. You know what they call that in the Bible? In the, in the Old Testament, it's called an Ebenezer. They would stack memorials to be reminded of who God was and what he had done. Listen, here's the beauty of what Jim's talking about. As we follow the good shepherd, as we follow the one true teacher who is Jesus, we have the opportunity to establish, if you will, Ebenezer's to be reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness throughout our lives to get us to where we are today using us in his power for his glory in a million different ways to which we can be reminded and testify to the goodness and power and mercy and grace of God. Friends, here's where I'm going to land this today. Because see, I, I'm all ready to go. This, this is supposed to be a quick setup to me telling you that as you follow Jesus, you will become like Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, you become like Jesus, which tells you that you're building on the right foundation, which is Jesus. Right? That's where the sermon was going. But you have to come back next week because I cannot allow this to go by too quickly. We live in a culture that distorts Jesus so bad. We, we live in an American Christianity that says, if you simply profess to be a follower of Jesus, you're saved. Can I tell you something? Why do you call me? Jesus says what? And then what does he say? And don't do what I say. What type of person is that who verbally professes to trust in Christ and doesn't do what he says? Well, what are they building on? It's called a lost person going to hell. You see, the American church invites people to think they're saved in Christ when they're not because they say it's profess salvation and you'll be saved. Uh-uh. It's profession plus possession. It's profession plus obedience. You're not saved by your obedience. You're saved through your obedience. Come back next week, but here's what I want to drive home today. Why would you not want to obey Jesus? If you're lost, I get it. If you're not saved, of course you don't want to obey Jesus. You've got a giant log in your eye, and I can't help you out with that. But I could pray that the Lord would convict you of the fact that he says, you must be perfect. The God who made all things, sustains all things, controls all things, rules over all things, made you and rules you and demands that you must be perfect. And if that doesn't scare the boots off of you, it's simply because you're spiritually dead. And I pray that God would bring you to life in Christ so that you might be d d disturbed and abhorred by the, the vileness of your heart and you would cry out to God, choose me, save me, a sinner. But now I'm talking to those of you who did that. Why would you not want to follow Jesus? I'll ask it this way. Why do I not want to follow Jesus sometimes? 
Why are there people, honest to goodness, that I'm like all right with them going to hell? Amen? Y'all look at me like I'm crazy, please. If you ain't sharing the gospel, you're all right with that too. Why is it so hard for me to love people at some times? Why is it so much easier to analyze the sin of someone else as opposed to my own? Why are there days I'm just like, Jesus, I don't care that much what you want me to do. I just want to sit on the deck and do nothing. But why is it hard at times to love one another in the body of Christ? Why is it hard? Here's why it's hard. Because we are not yet what we will one day be. But God is glorified as he conforms us to his image and causes us to walk in obedience to him. That's the mark of a saved person. So a saved person sees themselves a certain way. Do you see yourself as poor, hungry, and weeping spiritually? A saved person loves their enemies, does good to those who hate them, blesses those who curse them, and pray for those who abuse them. A saved person is not censorious. They're not condemning. They're forgiving. Remember we talked about forgiving. Was that just last week? Whew, I had a rather interesting series of conversations off of last week, if you'd like to know, about that whole judge not, condemn not, forgive not. Amazing what happens when a lost person hears that. But see, these are things that lost people can't do and saved people will struggle to do. I'll close here. I think we're Rocky Three Christians nowadays. You know Rocky Three? Rocky One, the big fight with Apollo. Remember that one? Yes. That was a good Rocky movie. Mm. Pounding the meat with Pauly. If you didn't see that movie, something fundamentally wrong with you. But it pivoted into Rocky too. And that, now Rock is, he's the man. But then you get to Rocky three. You remember who, who's in there with, with, with Rock in a, in a, Mr. What was Mr. T's name? Clubber Lang. I pity the fool. <laughs> remember Rock is, he's, is that when they dedicated his statue, right? And he's, he's buying all the eye of the tiger leather stuff, riding around with Adrian. They're all like kissing in the field. And, and, and Club Lang, he's training. You remember that? And you remember the fight? But what happened in Rocky Three? Probably one of the saddest moments in cinematic history. Ooh, I, don't, I only cry for Old Yeller in Rocky Three. But Rock got his block knocked off, right? Mick got dead, Rock got rocked. Why? Because he got lazy. He got soft. He didn't fight the good fight. He didn't train. He went easy. He rested on his laws. Church, listen to me. For the glory of God, get up, rock. We, we've got to remember that we are in a spiritual battle. The devil is knocking the church around left to right. Listen, he will not prevail. The bride of Christ will be victorious. But there are times where we conform to this world so much we simply say, Jesus, I'm good, come follow me. Listen, maybe you're saved and you say that, but you can't stay that way because there's a Rocky Four coming, amen? 
Listen to me. If you are a child of God, you will fight. We need to wake from our slumber. Read Revelation 1 to 3. This is not new to the church, my friends. But for the glory of God, we got to wake up, we got to get up, and we got to stand up, act like men, be strong, stand firm in the faith. That's what Paul says to Timothy, amen? Hmm. So, so there's my little tangent today. A person who is truly saved will follow the right teacher. Who is the right teacher? There's only one right teacher. The one who came to let you know you have a log in your eye, to, the, to take the log out of your eye, and to say, follow me. And as you follow him, you are enabled to remove a speck from your brother's eye, as you're highly more attentive to the specks that you have in your own eye. And as you do, you have opportunity to testify about this God who is. God promises to provide for all of our needs in Christ Jesus. He tells us in Psalm 23 that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you want me to paraphrase it? You're not only going to be okay, you're going to be perfectly fine. The world is scary. You ever watch the news? Listen to me. Here's what your future has in store. It's going to be scary, it's going to be hard, and you're going to die. Okay? If you're past the age of 40, the healthiest you've ever felt is done. If you had kids, you've enjoyed them, they're on the way out. Your, your body is going to ache more and more. You're going to eventually have to stop working for one reason or another. Then you've got to hope the money hangs on until the end. Praying there's no catastrophic, scary sickness along the way. And then you will die. Isn't that what the world tells you? constantly tells you this. Watch the news. In this world, you will have trouble. But I, says the Lord, have overcome this world. The best is not done. The best is yet to come. You've not been the healthiest you've ever going to be that's coming on the other side. You ain't been the wealthiest you're ever going to be that's coming on the other side. You ain't been emotionally as stable as you're ever going to be that's coming on the other side. You ain't had the best family you ever had. It's coming on the other side. And the Lord says, follow me. The world says, everything's good. Inside they go, it's scary. We're all going to die. No, no, says my Lord. Trust in me and you won't die. You will live forever, for I am the resurrection and the life.